This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Wrestling Network friends and family to the newest chapter in the history of one of the most beloved and sometimes misunderstood promotions in the history of professional wrestling. Welcome to the Pod of Honor. I am your co-host Scott Criscola. Welcome to the July episode. We hope you've enjoyed the first few. They're not episodic, which means you don't have to stop this one and go back to the first one. Feel free to listen to this one all the way to the end. It's pretty good. And then go back to the archives, placetobe.podbean.com, and check out all the previous episodes, because they're all really damn good. You know why they're damn good? Because of this guy. Not really me. I'm just a host. Good evening, Stephen Aloysius Willie. How are you? Hello. Hi, how's it going? What's going on? Not much. I'm excited to talk about some Ring of Honor today. As this is an era that I don't have much memory of, and it's an era that I really wasn't attending shows for a couple years. So mm-hmm. uh, it would be a it would be a pretty cool, cool watch because I definitely have not seen any of this show at all. I barely either. Uh, so this month, everyone, uh, Steve went into the uh, the jambalaya, jambalaya, Jake Williams jambalaya ruski, and picked out a randomizing show. We've I did not reach deep into Jake Williams. No, you did not. We didn't go that deep. Um, and what's funny, though, uh, Steve, is even though you randomized this show for us this month, there's actually some pretty interesting parallels to current wrestling in terms of uh, where the show is, as well as some of the people on it, which I find very funny. And the world title is not on the line on the show, which is interesting as well. The show actually was not technically televised, even though there was cameras. Um, this was straight on, to DVD. Yeah, on Cage Match, this is not technically under TV pay-per-view. This is just under regular events. So welcome, everyone, to this month's show. Uh, the date that we are going back in time to is June 26th, 2009. So we're going back, what, 14 years. To the Michigan State Fairgrounds and Expo Center in Detroit, Michigan. So fitting that we are, as uh, we're, what, about about three weeks away from wow. SummerSlam in the Motor City at Ford Field. That we'll be doing a show in Detroit. How about that, Steve Aloysius Willie? You didn't even know you uh, had the magic touch. I thought SummerSlam 2023 was at the Michigan State Fairgrounds and Expo Center. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute, we're not under a tent? Where's Bruce? No. <laughs> um, yeah, nope, of course it's at Ford Field, which seats about, I don't know, a couple couple more than the Michigan State Fairgrounds and Expo Center. Probably yeah, just a few. 78,000 or something, I don't know. Um, that would be the biggest stadium I've ever attended an event live. Uh, yeah, you and I, of course, will both be there. Um, no, nah, for me, the biggest building I've ever been in, well... Uh, I don't know. I have to look at the official number because obviously 
last year I was at AT&T Stadium, my beloved Jerry's house in Arlington, for Mania. But I've also been to Beaver Stadium and State College, home of the Nittany Lions. And I think that seat's like 104,000. And every game I went to were sellouts because most of them they played Michigan. So um, let's let's do this. Let's Well, for me anyway. I've been at the Yale Bowl, but that didn't that wasn't a sellout, although they were playing Harvard. So WrestleMania. So Steve, how would we do this? Would it go by average? Remember, it's two nights. Um, yeah, I'd say average. Well, let's put it this way. Just approximate it. Yeah. Combined, it's pro- it's it pretty was, close. Yeah, combined it was close. Night one had seventy seven thousand eight hundred and ninety-nine, and night two had seventy eight thousand four hundred and fifty-three. I was at both. So combined for the two nights, 156,352. So not a sellout because uh, Arlington, uh, AT&T Stadium for football can seat, um, I think, 100. Well, it, the capacity is 80, but it could s- expand to 105. And I believe, <clears throat> was it the All-Star game? The, the NBA All-Star Game, what was that, 2010? Yeah, there was a ton there. Yeah, I think it was over 100,000. So definitely not the most I've ever been to. I'm going to go to, to uh, the 1997 Penn State Nittany Lions football schedule because I'm pretty sure they have the... Oh, that would be that would be it. I've been to a couple University of Michigan games, so that would definitely be it. Okay, so yep, I was at this game November eighth, nineteen ninety seven. They they were calling it Judgment Day because Penn State was two and Michigan was four, Mm -hmm. but also that day, uh, number one was I think Florida, and they were playing somebody number three. So they, I remember that day uh, ESPN was calling it Judgment Day because the top four teams in the country were actually playing each other. Uh, Penn State got blown out 34-8. to eight. I think – I think. Uh, Heck, yeah. What's his name? The one that won the Heisman. Um, not Darren Woodson. He played for – Rod Woodson? Yeah, was it? not Rod. Charles Woodson. Woodson. Charles Woodson. Yep. Uh, ran back two punts for touchdowns. That, ah, that was an awesome, awesome player. Now, that place had 97 97- – 1,498. Now, if we go back, the first Penn State game I went to was in 1996. The reason I'm saying Penn State is I'm pretty sure it's the biggest building I've ever been in. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to the Northwestern game that year, and they beat, they won, and they had 96 596. So there were more people at the Michigan game. The following year, 1998, the reason I went to these games is my roommate at the time. His dad went to Penn State, so he had seasons. Um, I went to the Michigan State game, November twenty eighth, the finale, and they won. Uh, they won that game fifty one twenty eight and ninety six thousand three hundred and fifty eight. The following year, nineteen ninety nine, I also saw Michigan. I believe they lost that game thirty one twenty seven. And that was 96,840. So the biggest, the event of which I was at with the most people was that 1997 Penn State Michigan game that had almost 98,000. Okay. And I've been to, I, I don't know the exact dates, but I've been to University of Michigan Stadium. And I know that's 107, 6. 
yeah. is the seating capacity, but it, um, according to Wiki, it could go to 115. I want to say I was there for a game that was close to 110. Biggest wrestling I went I went to was WrestleMania 34 in New Orleans. That was 78, but I don't know if that how legit that number is. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how. I I don't can't imagine that it was 78,000 people. Right. <coughs> right. Excuse me. Uh, you're right. Um, yeah, biggest re- Yeah, biggest I've been at. Well, I was at summer. Well, let's see. Um, actually, in terms of number of people for wrestling, the <clears throat> the shows at um, AT and T were not the biggest crowd. I believe. I believe the biggest crowd. Well, let's see. Uh, was it this one? Uh, yes. Wrestling-wise, the biggest one I was ever at was WrestleMania 35 at MetLife. Mm-hmm. Uh, 80, 82,265. Um, which is about 2,000 more than there was there when I went six years earlier to WrestleMania 29, which had... Uh, can I click on that one? No. Um, yes, that one seated. So WrestleMania 29, I was at, yep, was less. 80,000, it says disputed, but I mean, I think it's pretty clean, that one. 80,676 for WrestleMania 29. 82,265 for WrestleMania 35 at MetLife. So I guess... I can't even count AT and T. Yeah, two days, sure. But if you're talking about a one nighter, the biggest crowd I was ever at was for WrestleMania 35. Uh, I also forgot that I was in day one of the collision in Korea, not the second one. So that was 150,000. I was there at that one, but you know, day two I got kicked out, so I didn't get to see an Oki Flair. You were in Korea? No, of course not. <laughs> that would have been awesome. I wish it was you were. me and 149,999 North Koreans there <laughs> for having literally no idea what's going on. But me, I was like, yeah, you weren't on that. But, you weren't, but you weren't in that dark side of the ring. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't on that Korea. Dark. Steve, no, I was, I was one of the shadows. If I ever see you in a dark side of the ring, I might lose my mind. I'm just going to pass by Jim Cornette and just, like, shake my head. Ugh. Yeah. And then you'll see head. me, like, uh, in Meltzer's office, and I'll I'll start uh, cleaning up the piles of papers for him. He's got to be in every fucking episode of Dark Side of the Ring. Hi, I'm Jim Cornette, and I'm just an asshole. No. All right, back to the te- back to the business at hand. All right, so June 26th. Well, yeah, because you were at the largest Ring of Honor show of all time. So there you go. Transition. Uh, at the Madison Square Garden. Yes, I was. The G1 Supercard. That show was great. It was so cool to be at a Madison Square Garden show that wasn't WWE. It was kind of crazy. It felt weird. I felt like I was cheating on my miss on my wife. It was very weird to be there and not have, like, WWF stuff. And I'd been there twice before for WWE. I've only been to Madison Square Garden twice for wrestling. Three times, I mean. WrestleMania 20 in 2004. Uh, a Raw slash Saturday night's main event taping in the summer of 2007. I went with Rotella 
that was the one where Austin came out and and everyone it was the whole Hornswoggle or it was the whole <laughs> who was his kid, yeah or whatever, and that was the announcement. And I thought we were going to see him that night, but we didn't. But that was the announcement that Triple H, who had been out since January, uh, was facing Booker at SummerSlam at the Meadowlands. And I thought Triple H was coming out last night. It would have been awesome, but he didn't. Of course, he came back that show. So, yeah, and then I did not go back to the Garden for wrestling for 12 years until the night before WrestleMania 35, Steve Aloysius Willie. Mm-hmm. And that was 20, oh, geez. What was the official number for that show? 20, I'm going to say it was probably like 22, because there was, a. I mean, they jammed everybody in there. G1 Supercard, which I still have my, I can't find the DVD. That sucks ass. But to buy, there was 16,534 for that show. And you think that's the biggest, that's the biggest Ring of Honor card ever? Uh, Oh, yeah, easily. You're probably right. That's a show I think we should do, Steve Willie. Yeah, that'd be fine. It's super long, but we we can do it. No, the show's awesome, but the show's awesome, though. Yeah. It was a great card. I mean, the, uh, the fucking, uh, uh, not that match, what was it? Uh... There's a Jeff Cobb Will Osprey match that I absolutely loved. It was like uh, uh, it's the one that had the garbage fucking Bully Ray shit match. No, that wasn't it. Oh, oh with, yeah, it was. Yeah. Flip and Bully in the straight that match is in the six man. That's right. It was Flip Gordon and Lifeblood against Bully Shane Taylor and Silas Young. That match is fucking horrible. It was 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Dreadful. Which stinks uh, because Lifeblood was actually really really good uh, stable and then pretty much. Um, COVID just killed it all when they were, it's like yeah. Mark Haskett. Yeah, but um, yeah, the bully, anything the bully where it was in at that time in Ring of Honor, it was terrible. He's still in ROH. Uh, he's all like, he's an impact right now. Bully Ray. No, I'm talking about Matt Haskett, Mark Haskins. Yeah, but he, he just doesn't come over that much because of being in England after COVID, just really haven't seen him. Mm. Be cool That's if he was in England for. He's a great wrestler. Yeah, yeah, be interesting. He was there for all in. match was really good. Mm-hmm. That match is great. Abushi Naito was amazing. Uh, Taven, Lethal, and Marty was actually better than I thought. And then Okada, J.Y., I mean, I just was happy Okada won, but I, I felt like I, I was not on, I was not a J.Y. fan at that time. And I felt like that match, I wanted to be better and it just wasn't. Sure. But that's all right. Anyway, we'll talk about that show down the line. So this show was called. I can't believe we just talked 14 minutes about something other than this show. <laughs> it's such us. Uh, of course, later on this week, new episode of Place Be Nation's main event. Well, we'll talk about other things that aren't related to wrestling, probably uh, with me, Steve, and of course, the Godfather name. Um, so, yeah, June 26, 2009, from the Michigan State Fairgrounds and Expo Center in Detroit, ROH Violent Tendencies. Now, uh, again, this as uh, Steve mentioned, this was not a uh, pay-per-view or on TV. This was straight to DVD. Do you own this one, Steve? I do not. Yeah, I don't. I don't have much of anything from this time period, except I think there's a couple. I think like the final countdown is there's like a couple shows, which was Danielson and Nigel's last appearance. For Ring of Honor at that time period before Danielson left for WWE and Nigel was supposed to leave for WWE. Right. Uh, but I really don't have much from this time period. This is a during this era, this is about a quarter of the way through the HD net run. So I would see 
the HDNet shows, but I didn't really get to see the big cards unless it was on traditional pay-per-view. And I was trying to wonder why. I know part of it was that uh, my kid was only about two at this point. So that was one reason. And I was talking to actually our our good buddy Chad Campbell today. And he's like, he said that he was out of Ring of Honor at this time as well. And part of it was once Jerry Lynn defeated Nigel at like the WrestleMania shows. And it just seemed like kind of an about shift for them where it didn't really make much sense for that to happen. Right. Um, And then, yeah, there's just a lot of odd things and going out at this time, a lot of strange folks getting shots, as we'll talk about one match that I know we both did not care for right. um, later on. No. So, um, yeah, there's there's some interesting matches on this show. There, I love the main event, which we'll mm-hmm. get to. Uh, uh, the one match that's most memorable is the tag title match. That, that was, match was fucking absolutely amazing. incredible. It was incredible. Uh, and then there were a couple of matches that were kind of disappointing, and, and there's another, there's a couple of people here that I wanna that I really am probably gonna slam the shit out of. One nobody will care because nobody likes him. The other one I hope I might get a little crap for because he's like more beloved than anything else. But I don't know, he never did anything for me. But we'll get to that. So there were three dark matches. Alex Payne defeated Adam Pierce. Was this like when he was pretty much like done in ring? Um, Adam Pierce had a run in NWA. Um, well, yeah, he won the title, what, five times? Yeah, I can't remember, but that was in the 2010s, early 2010s, I believe. Okay. Yeah. You um, but yeah, he was on the on the tail end of, of his career at this point. He wasn't doing, well, he never really was doing um, too much in the, like, he was in PWG in the early years. He, he didn't really hit it that big ever in terms of being a wrestler, but he's very beloved. Um, right. He was in Ring of Honor for the whole ROH versus CZW feud. Um, Alex Payne was just one of the students. Um, I would like to talk about that at some point, too, since we're just on the subject. Not now, but the Ring of Honor, Honor training classes and how they have these amazing workers the first few years, like Danielson and Punk teaching, and they really didn't have anybody come out of it. Right. Um, so, yeah, like Alex Payne would would be one of those people. Um, so looking at Adam Pierce's resume, he did actually win the world title before this, uh, his first, and he, he won the NWA world heavyweight title five times. The first time he won it was on January 9th, 2007, and he held it for over oh, a year. Okay. Till February 8th, 2008. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Forgot cage match. Fucking European. He won it on. September 1st, 2007, not January 9th. And because the math made no sense. He won it on September 1st, 2007 and lost it on August 2nd, 2008. Then he won it back on September 20th and he had it till uh, October 25th. He was feuding with Blue Demon, I think. Okay, yeah, uh, Mexican Somebody, something like legend. That. Yeah. Then, then he, he was actually British. So this this stretch, he he does because he doesn't win the title, the world title again until March of eleven, uh, March of ten. I'm sorry, March of ten. Okay. And, and by that point, and and by this point too, he's Booker of ROH. He started in very end of 08, mm-hmm. um, taking taking over for Gabe Sapolsky. So he's doing the Stark match and. 
booking as well. Right. He um and also in the middle there in 2010 he won the British Commonwealth Championship. I've seen that belt. It's fucking gorgeous. Mm-hmm. You know me, belt junkie. The belt sure. is gorgeous. That British that British heavyweight title is beautiful. The one that I remember seeing. It's on Dave Milligan's site. I don't know if it's the same belt as this one. Might have been one more from the 90s. I'll have to text. I'll have to send uh, message you a picture of it. It's beautiful. Sorry, buddy. Belt junkie. You know me. <laughs> um, That's fine. Love that. Let me tell you something. ROH belt got a lot better in the back end. I always thought that belt was dull. And everybody loved it with the big red letters. I don't know. I just thought it was kind of bland. Um, I did always like the ROH tag belts. Those never looked bad. I always thought those were great. But the more recent, the, kind of the, the mid-lineage ROH world title belt, you know, the one like with the grape leaves or whatever on them, that, was, mm-hmm. that, that, that belt's pretty fucking great, I have to say. I got to hold it. It's pretty cool. Oh, very cool. Remember that night? I was, you were with me. Mm-hmm. I got to hold it at, uh, it was, I took a, it was me, Kevin and Dr. G. I think we took a picture of it when we went to that show at, uh, in Brooklyn. Gotta go back. Gotta come back, Steve. Gotta get some, yeah. gotta go back to Spumoni Gardens, get some killer. Uh, we're, I'm going to, uh, New York in, in August with the family. <gasps> oh, mm-hmm. might need to, uh, take a, I mean, take a, little, a little Spumoni deeper. Garden trip. Yeah. A deeper. I'll have to, I'll have to talk to the doctor. <laughs> That's all right with you. I'll have to. Find some uh, time. Um, anyway, while Steve and I are blind dating, let's talk about the <laughs> show. <laughs> All right. So there's Adam Pierce. The second dark match, uh, Mikey Nichols beats Tony Kazina. I don't know. Any of Why does Tony Kazina's okay. name ring a bell? Tony Kazino, um, I, I, he's more of a known as a trainer than anything. He trained Davey Richards um, and gotcha. had a role in training <laughs> um Kyle O'Reilly, which is um, kind of why he was allowed in Ring of Honor. He didn't really ever fit in there. Um, I, I don't want to go much in him. The guy seems like he's kind of a jerk. Um, you know, kind of one of those people who uh, takes liberties with others in the ring. Um, I do know he's down in Australia area now training with Bad Luck Fale. Like, I think he teaches down there. Uh, Mikey gotcha. Nichols. Actually, uh, this is really early on, but he's actually in the G1 right now. He was in NXT for a hot minute as God, Nick Miller. I'm looking up now, so I remember. Um, it was the mighty Don't Kneel. TMDK was his tag Nick team name. And I cannot remember. It was uh, Shane Haste is his partner, and they're both in New Japan now. But I, for the life of me, cannot remember what their name was in NXT. Shane mm. Thorne was the partner. Shane Thorne and Nick Miller. TM61? Is that what it is? Do you remember this? <laughs> Vaguely? They, they weren't around for they weren't around for long, about a year. Yes, yeah. I do. 61. You're talking about an NXT, yes. Yep. yep. Now that I think about it, I do remember a team with Weren't they yeah. right? New Zealand? No. Australia, yeah. Australia. Yeah. So, yes. yeah, he, gosh, he's only 37 now. So that means 24 years old at this point. So really just starting out. And he was oh, in developmental from 16, 2016 to 2018. And then I know he was kind of stuck in Australia during COVID. And um, both he and his partner are in New Japan right now. They're in the stable with uh, Zack Sabre Jr. Gotcha. 
The next match, I have no idea who this guy is. No, Sonny Samson. De- oh, you don't know who those three question marks are? I don't know. No. I don't know. <laughs> Sonny Samson defeats, uh, I guess, somebody. Uh, Jobert, perhaps. <laughs> a Jobert. Um, a Jobert. Uh, so there we go. So there were the dark matches. All right. So the, we open the show with a, a pretty nice tribute because um, I'm going to get this wrong. Uh, Misawa. Mitsuhara. Misawa. I, for some reason, I was typing Fujinami. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to embarrass myself, but thank you for doing it for me. You're the best. Oh, no problem. Uh, <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm trying to look at the date. Mitsu. He passed away on June thirteenth, so about third, so about, about thirteen, two weeks. about two weeks before. Yeah, um, and I, I am not clicking on the thing that shows the footage of his death. Let's just, all right, do not click on that. Um, he died in the ring. Is, um, you know, he was around on June thirteenth. Well, here's the official Wikipedia. First mm-hmm. of all, we'll we'll t- we'll read his. Uh, We'll read his his resume in a minute. But so on June 13th, 2009, Misawa teamed with Shiozaki against GHC tag team champions Saito and Smith in a title match at Hiroshima Green Arena. The match is supposed to last 37 minutes, but at around the 10 minute mark, 10 minutes before the schedule finished, so about 25 minutes in, Misawa took a back suplex from Saito. Misawa was motionless, and referee Shiyuchi Nishinaga. Stop the match. A doctor in attendance attempted to perform CPR, but was unsuccessful. And Misawa's body discolored as emergency medical technicians that revive him with an, with a defibrillator. He was taken to the Hiroshima University Hospital. He was pronounced dead at 10:10 local time at age 46. Although his family invoked a Japanese law that requested the police not publicly release the official cause of death, it was speculated to have been a cervical injury. And the Hiroshima Prefectural Police Central Office stated the night after the accident that the diagnosis was a cervical cord transection. The injury was specified and reported by Meltzer as the separation of Misawa's first and second cervical vertebrae. Ow! Mm-hmm. Maybe back suplexes suck ass more than buckle bombs. Uh, Misawa's death was a leading story. Of course, ROH. Uh, does it mention it here? Uh... Oh, Punk wrote Misawa on his wrist and forearm during the June 15th episode of Raw. I kind of remember that. And yeah. Yoshitatsu wore familiar ring attire. Yeah, I do remember that. I remember WWE actually mentioning it, too, if I remember correctly. I mean, Misawa's yeah. one of the greatest wrestlers of all time. You know, just oh, of his All Japan run is absolutely legendary. And then yep. Inoa as well. Um, so is uh, and that was you know when we first started that was when we realized Flair was in the building as well, but yeah it was the entire roster and then uh, Kenta Kenta who was a mainstay in Noah one of the the OGs of Noah really yeah. uh, was in the ring with uh, the owner Kerry Silken. All right, so he was two time All Asia Tag Team Champion with Kenta once and with Ogawa once. Mm-hmm. He was a five time Triple Crown Heavyweight Champion. Six-time World Tag Team Champion. These are all All Japan. Uh, twice with Kawada, twice with Kenta Kobashi, not the other Kenta. Once with Jun Akiyama and once with Yoshinari Ogawa. He was the uh, one-time uh, NWA International Junior Heavyweight Champion. One-time PWF World Tag Team Champion with uh, another all-timer, Jumbo Saruta. He was two-time Champion Carnival 
1995 and 1998, and four-time World Strongest Tag Determination League winner four straight years, 92 through 95, once with Kawada and three times with Kenta Kobashi. Could you imagine that Kobashi fucking Kawa- uh, Misawa team? Holy shit. It's yeah, like walking no. in and going, it's unbelievable. Like fucking Road Warriors. Um, yeah, I'll pass. <laughs> no, thank you. I don't want to be like those ham and eggers on the old Georgia shows in the mid 80s who'd walk in and then look at uh, Road Warriors on the sheet on the bullet board and go, yeah, I'm going to go back to work at McDonald's. Um, <laughs> he was three time GHC heavyweight champion, two time GHC tag team champion, both with Yoshinari Ogawa. And he won the Global Tag League in that year, 2009, with Go Shiozaki. He was uh, he won the Nikon Sports Match of the Year with Jun Akiyama and Kenta and Yoshihiro Takayama. And he twice won Nikon Sports Wrestler of the Year, 2007 and 2009. PWI. Um, he was, of course, former Tiger Mask. In 2003, in terms of the PWI years, he was ranked... Uh, 37. In 2003, he was number six. Singles. Has himself. Wow. He was six. He was six. In 1997, 1997, he was two. That's, yeah. I mean, PWI, the fact that, you know, as in 97, when the internet is just really that that's when mo- a lot of people are getting the internet at that point you know yeah. through like american online that and pe- uh, uh, more people are starting to get tapes through that um so that's when a lot of the japanese stuff you know so many of us you know started with like the super j cups and and then yep. all japan um, you know getting you know that was that was when he was still as oh god no he was himself at that point for many years i'm i'm confused by dates as right now um, and we'll talk about this on the main event, I think, coming up, um, mm-hmm. that I'm so overwhelmed by new wrestling because there's just too much now that yeah, I've been is. watching some of the yearbooks of 1990, 1993, because it's just like it, it, it's just like a nice warm bottle at the end of the day, Scott. <laughs> 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 just put on put on a match or two on the nights that that's I'm, beats, you know, breast milk wrestling. <laughs> yeah, it just. <laughs> Oh, it's so nice. Mm. And but before, it, if nobody has it off the top of their heads, before anybody pisses and moans, oh, what did Masala lose to fucking Hogan? You know what number one was that year? 97? Was it Brett? No, Brett was, uh, Brett was not in the top 10 wow. in 97. Remember, that most of the year he was injured. Before. Yeah, that was the year he was injured. Who was number one? D. Malenko. Oh, that's a D. Malenko year, yep. So who's gonna who's gonna bitch? Yeah, and more people like just because it was starting on the internet, you know, people were starting to get it more. The fact that he was up there and so high, ninety seven is is fine, right? And it's it's funny too, Steve, that you're talking about ja- the Japanese guys re- reaching those levels of being in the PWI because this, based on what I'm looking at, ninety one was the first year of the five hundred, mm-hmm. and you want to talk about a lot of meat. Uh, the top ten, ten through one in ninety one was Rick. Steiner, Arn, Dr. Death, Steamboat, the other Steiner, Sting, Savage, Flair, Luger, Hogan. And you're probably like, um, <laughs> the first Japanese wrestler to be in the top 10 in PWI 500 history. Let me make sure I confirm it. I don't want to. Okay, I'm right. Was Misawa, mm-hmm. who was 10 in 1995. 
And then the floodgates opened because in 96, Kenta was four in 96. In 97, when Misawa was two, Hashimoto was seven. Liger was nine for two straight years. So as you can see, like you just said, by the late 90s, when people were starting to go on message boards and, you know, all of Scott Keith stuff and Prodigy and, um, <laughs> you know, people were starting to realize what the fuck was going on over there. Right. And how fucking awesome it was. Misawa would be three now, in, in three straight years, 97, 98, 99, he was in the top three. He was two in 97 and he was three in 98 and 99. Uh, in 98, Kenta was six. Liger was nine. In 99, Misawa was three. Uh, Muda was seven. In, in 2000, Kenta was four. Liger was eight. Sasaki was 10. 01, Muda was, was four. So, I mean, my point is, Misawa was uh, eight in 2001. By 2002, people figured, I mean, it was starting to get figured out because you had. Uh, Muda at three, Nagata was at eight, and then other years, and then as we go down, Kenta and Muda again, and you know Kobashi and etc. Kawada, and then the floodgates opened. By the early, by the mid two thousands, the floodgates had opened. Yeah, that was when it was easier to get DVDs and stuff, exactly. as opposed to having to get copies of VHS and. Right. So it was safe to say that Ko- that Misawa was a fucking trailblazer mm-hmm. for that. Tokyo Sports, uh, you know, a ton of awards. He won Match of the Year. Tokyo Sports Match of the Year five times. Observer. All right, here's Meltzer. He was the, the best ob- Yeah, What's Observer that? Awards, you know, are based on – I lost my page here. You know, the, the readers. So those are the people, especially in, like, the 80s and the early 90s, that right. knew all about this stuff you know, strictly through, you know, the observer and occasionally some PWI like type after mission. But, you know, these are the people who knew their shit, especially yeah. back then. Pretty much. Um, so he was the best front. This is now, so this is the, the observer. Best flying wrestler, 85, 86. Best maneuver of 85, the Tope Congiro. Feud of the year with Saruta in 90 and 91. I remember yeah, watching yeah. A, a YouTube match from like late 90 with these two. Yeah, it's, this doesn't dads talk about slapping meat. Woo! Yeah, because 85, 86, he's still Tiger Mask. He loses the mask at some point in 90. Um, the, where I'm at on the 90 year book, I just started it. So I'm in January. So he's still Tiger Mask. I'm like, is he not Tiger Mask anymore? I'm like, oh, nope, there's his eyebrows. That's definitely him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Match of the year. Five times. Uh. 85 versus Kuniaki Kobayashi and then an 11 year gap and then four match of the years in a five year stretch. Yeah. Or four in a, in a seven year stretch. Sorry. 96 him and Junakiyama against Dr. Death and Johnny Ace. 98 with Kenta. 99 with Kenta. 03 with Kenta. Mm-hmm. Oof. There are two, yeah, two companies there. Most outstanding wrestler, 97, 99. Most underrated wrestler, 88. Tag team of the year three times. 91 three different with partners. Kawada. What's that? Three different partners, too. Three different partners. 91 with Kawada, 95 with Kobashi, and 96 and 97 with Akiyama. Three-time wrestler of the year. 95, 97, 99. Of course, all Japan, the four pillars. I mean, they were fucking mm-hmm. the And then he made the Hall of Fame uh, 
Gabe's Hall of Fame in 1990. I mean, that's how good he is. He's in the Hall of Fame before almost every wrestling fan's even heard of him. And before he might, and before even he kind of hit his second prime, right in the 2000s. The way yeah. he died was just so sad. It sucked because he probably could have gone probably another five or six years. He was 45, so probably I could see him probably wrestling until 50. Oh, sure. And then maybe booking. But fuck, man, what a stud! So he had passed away uh, 13 days before this show. So they did a they did a special. Um, they did a special. Uh, um, it's got a ten bell salute and moment of silence. For yeah, him. yes, it was huge. Mm-hmm. Um, so they do that. Everybody comes out. They do that, and then and then we get back in, and then we start the show. Our opener is. Silas Young, a guy that I never loved, against Grizzly Redwood. <laughs> kind of oh, looks Grizzly. like Spike Dudley. He is kind of like Spike Dudley. He, he is a lumberjack. Uh, he is incredibly small. Uh, Known as Mitch Franklin, so he was one of the trainees in Ring of Honor, trained by Aries and Punk. Uh, so this is, he's five foot five inches tall. 100 and 163 pounds. In other words, my leg weighs more than him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, a little lumberjack. Uh, fairly popular in right. terms of. And then Silas Young, of course, less real man. Here he's got his long hair. Uh, you know, probably used here because he's uh, from uh, the Milwaukee area, the Midwest. Do you know where Silas Young was born? Appleton, Wisconsin. Very good. Home oh, shit. Of, really? Yeah. Pull home that out of, of my ass. Steve Willie. <laughs> I pulled that out of my ass only because you asked me. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, I ran into him at the local quick trip one morning. I don't think he lives <laughs> here anymore. Uh, it was, I'm, I'm not going to say it. I, I won't say anything. <laughs> I was like, wow, that, yeah, okay. Hi, Silas. <laughs> yeah. So, th- I mean, this was just, it was just a three minute opener squash match this you know it, it's so different from the early roh days or the later roh days where your opening match is an absolute banger usually it's you know very fast pace in the very early days of ring of honor 0304 there are usually some sort of like four man of like event or six man match where it's just go 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 and this was just like three or four minutes of of nothing really right yeah no it's it's just it was a lot of gimmicky stuff and <laughs> and uh um and you know he won the redwood won the match and my my um, favorite red grizzly redwood moment is um very easy to find on google uh is in chikara he was against claudio castagnoli and claudio legitimately did the giant swing a hundred times not like your fans counting too hell. quick. Yeah, it was an a- actually 100 revolutions with Grizzly Redwood. Poor bastard. Yep. I should be throwing my shit up. Good Christ. Um, so that was the opener. Nothing crazy. A little comedy action. Second match, a little tag action. Some uh, ROH stalwarts. Kenny King 
speaking of giant heel heat that I saw live at the Garden, and Rhett Titus against Brent Albright and Eric Stevens. Um, 12.39, this match was fine. It's nothing earth-shattering. Um, I know a lot of people who are not Rhett Titus fans. Yeah, um, I'm really I'm really not. Part of it is just like, his look terrifies me. <laughs> yeah, he's got that it. giant mouth. And he has that weird mask with like melty shit on it. It's fucked up. Because he's been doing some NWA stuff over the last yeah. years. Uh, I like Kenny King. I always did. He's a good heel. Mm-hmm. Um, Brent Albright, Eric Stevens, solid workers. Eh, it was just a good tag match. You know, yeah, just getting the crowd warmed up. Eric Stevens, uh, he, he did. He has made a comeback. He retired for a good decade. Um, I didn't realize he was trained by Roderick Strong. But he, he is in that style of, like, hard-hitting suplex type guy so is brent albright um and he had a very very small um time on television as gunner scott in wwe but he was in developmental for years after he was in actually before so he okay let me he was in ring of honor then he got hired by wwe he was in developmental showed up as Gunnar Scott for a hot minute on regular programming and then was let go. And then he went back to the independence and really only wrestled for another two years after this, which is kind of surprising. He's not, not exactly uh, that old. Right. Yeah. But yeah, they would be in, God, I can't remember if it was just the no remorse cord. Day. They, they were in some very strange, um, groups. Uh, I, I want right. to say that they were in the No Re- Remorse Corps for a while. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, Kenny King, obviously still still around right now. It, it, very interesting who is still wrestling out on this card and who is not. I know, right? And who is who made it to bigger and better things? Yeah, who are There's... tremendous stars? Who are star like we thought were going to be stars who completely petered out? Like Silas Young still wrestling, not not, not much, but and he's Kenny what fifties <laughs> feels like it. Kenny King just won, um, I think it was the digital media title uh, <laughs> at Slammiversary. I don't know what that title means, but he did win it over Joe Hendry, so he's still going uh, strong. I, he's been in X Division matches or made up junk, <laughs> made up junk for uh, for him. Yeah. Uh, all right, so let's let's start getting into some fun meat and potatoes matches. There we go. Like this one. Talk about two guys who, well, one made it. The other, I guess, kind of made it. Should have made it. Yeah. Yeah, I had a real bad. Bad break. Really bad break. We have, speaking of 100 revolutions, Mr. Castagnoli, Claudio, taking on the aforementioned Nigel McGinnis. Mm-hmm. And this ended in a 13-minute double countout because they brawled out onto the, uh, on the walkway. Um. Nigel was kind of buff. Here. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. Yeah, he was huge here. Yeah, definitely and, not and his it, normal size. And, um, well, not as tall as Claudio. He's one of the one of the few guys in Ring of Honor who looks like he's competitive to someone of Claudio's size, especially if we just hug a five foot five man uh, wrestle. But yeah, th- this kind of looked like a hoss match. 
It's just they were working each other's arms like they were trying to rip them off. Right? Crazy. It was fun. I don't, you know what's funny, uh, Steve, and we watched a few of his, a couple of his matches. We actually did a, a, a series about him past episode, but I need to watch more Nigel. I feel like He's I've so not good. watched enough Nigel yeah. in my life. The, um, just both of these guys, but I, I feel, I, we'll get to cults later. Um, but, but both of these guys would bring that hybrid American-European style. Um, you could still see a lot of what Claudio is doing now back then right? Uh, in terms of the European uppercuts, but huge strikes. And, um, you know, the story was that Nigel, this is his for pretty much his first match back after being injured for two and a half months. Um, he had two torn biceps, never had surgery. So Claudio was working on the arms um, and Nigel returned the favor because a lot of Nigel's offense to begin with would work on the arms, you know, before, but yeah, then they just kept getting, uh, angrier and angrier and they kept fighting on the floor. Uh, there was like three close count outs in a row. And then eventually Nigel just slapped on, uh, his arm submission. That's called the, uh, London dungeon, which is basically like, uh, kind of like, a just an arm bar, like a seated arm bar where you're yanking back on the, on the elbow and just, they got counted out of the ring. I'm sure they had another match after this. They had to have. Yeah. I'll have to take a look at that. But I need a good Nigel primer, Steve. I, I can work on that. Nigel is one of my favorite. I've said this before. He's one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. Mm. Just um, and cool dude. Pretty cool dude. And as we so, know, caught a, caught a bad health break like a lot yeah. of these guys do. It sucks. But fun match. Fun match. Not rated on cage match, though. <clears throat> yeah, well, like I said, I think a lot of this 09-2010 era uh, Ring of Honor is not well known because there were people that turned out of it after Sapolsky got let go and like the HDNet era uh, where they were bringing in some, you know, other guys. It was just, you know, it was like an hour show and it didn't seem like vintage Ring of Honor so much. Right. Um, it turned a lot of people off. So I think a lot of these other shows, these DVDs, I don't think they're as well received as as others. And they also went like, let's see, this took place when we said in June, June of '09, yeah, June. And yeah, June. so we there were a bunch of shows in June, but then they only had two matches in all of July and August, or two shows in all of July and August. So it they weren't running as frequently. Right. But and yeah, just this just shows themselves weren't as, as well received. Right. Yeah. But this is one that, uh, you know, it was kind of a good sprint, 13 minutes on the nose and they started brawling out to the floor. And I think Nigel had Claudio in a, what was it like a crab or something? What did he have in? Or was it the other way around? Um, they had, it was like, I said, it was, yeah, they were just each doing these arm submissions. And like I said, yeah. Nigel's is where he's kind of sitting in a clutch hold, like a camel clutch, only he has the elbow like wrenched back. Mm. And and of course, they were counting out. They were literally right near the opening. So mm -hmm. not the only time those two would uh, wrestle each other. Let's put it that way. Next up, we have a tag team match involving a couple of guys that are not doing too bad for themselves right now. 
they're doing all right. How's yeah, the truth, that, of course, we're talking and about. And that is, of course, Christian Abel and Josh Raymond. That's, of course, what we're talking about. That's <laughs> the truth. Of course, we are talking about best friends now and undisputed world tag team champions on uh, in the WWE. Of course, El Generico, a.k.a. Sami Zayn and Kevin Steen-Owens. Steen-Owens. Um, I think Kevin Steen was a baby face here. He was kind of building himself up. Um, he wasn't the Kevin Steen we'd know yet. Um, speaking of Steen, he's like me. He's a junkie with T-shirts and stuff. Mm-hmm. Was it last week he had an awesome uh, on Raw? He had a uh, a homage shirt that had uh, Halloween Havoc '97 on it. And it was Ray and Eddie. <laughs> the shirt was pretty fucking cool. Yeah, uh, you will see one of my favorite uh, homage shirts, Steve, uh, mm-hmm. on Saturday, August fifth. Ah, interesting. I won't tell you which one. Okay. But let's put it this way. Fits the city. Hmm. So Jordan Duncan. Of course. It's a it's a Eric Hipple Lions jersey. <laughs> <laughs> it's Gus Farrat slamming his head into the uh fucking wall when he was when he was with the Redskins. Anyway, no. Um so obviously they were, you know, obviously very tight. This match was fun. Um mm-hmm. Do you feel Steen has Steen Owens has changed his style in 14 years? Because I feel like he looked a little different in ring here than now. Say, I'm obviously he's older. He probably a little. I mean, he's, you know, he's always had that same build, but he just felt different to me. He was a little bit. Well, he was a little lighter at this point, and then he. I mean, he's always been bigger. But right. he, you know, kind of the last couple of years of Ring of Honor, he was much bigger. Um, and he, one of his, part of his style is that he was a little bit more of a high flyer for being so big. You saw little bits of stuff. The, you saw the swanton that he does. Um, There's like a pop-up pile, um, power bomb that wasn't as good as he, you know, has done in years past. But his finisher back then was a package pile driver and he just couldn't use it in wwe he had to find something else because of the ban on pile drivers back then when he when he came in so that was um but yeah i mean some of it too is uh, i think what makes steen especially so great and why i think he will be a hall of famer when it's all said and done is his ability to work any crowd you know the the talking he does in these small shows where, mm-hmm. you know, how many people do, does it say how many people? No, it doesn't say. I mean, I'm guessing a thousand people, say, at this expo center would be like a rough estimate. And he works, he'll talk the whole match to get the crowd involved and to laugh and, um, you know, mock the opponents. And he'll, he'll do that in the WWE, too. And he can do it more than anybody else, you know, maybe besides Roman talking in uh, at his opponents trash talking so the crowd can hear but god there was so much in there when he's like generico's in the ring and he's telling him to body slam him and he's like come on stay on him do something else that he body slammed one of the house of truth members three times gets a two count he's like come on that was three body slams how was that not three it just <laughs> trash just such a trash talker yeah he, he could just work i and it's the advantage of coming up in the indies where it's very rare where you see someone outside of like a generational talent like Roman Reigns make it in the big time who hasn't 
have this kind of experience working crowds. Right. You know, some of the matches later on, <laughs> there was no response whatsoever. It was like you can hear a pin drop in there. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, obviously, Sammy was prime here, early prime. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just a fun overall match. And you could just see that the two just loved being together. Oh, yeah. They loved, you know, working together as a team. It was legit. Um, I'm glad this match was on here because I, I never got I've never really seen them a lot together. And it was fun to see them kind of coalesce as a team and, and prove me that they really it's legit their friendship that has gone through multiple promotions and multiple years all the way to today. It's pretty great. And even I mean, a little yeah, few oh, a lot, they're actually tag team champions. Right. The the little stuff, you know, we text each other earlier in the day while we were watching this and. They came out to the Ole 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 music and then they broke into yep. Smooth Criminal by Michael Jackson. And I don't know if this was a one time thing because they were in Motown. Uh, but the, you know, Generico is doing the, you know, some Michael Jackson moves. And then, you know, Steen is just, you know, kind of <laughs> just did, did the worst moonwalk ever. And then did the old uh, slapstick knee type thing where you go back yeah. and forth. Just just being silly. Yeah, a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Good match, and they win in 13-19. Next up, um, this match was interesting. It was. <laughs> this uh, this a, is was 2009 a, Ring of Honor right here. Yeah, it was a six-man mayhem match. It's a non-title. Right, because Aries is the champ here. Is the world champ. Right. Okay, so so that's that's why I thought it was strange. So you have Austin Aries, your Ring of Honor world champion, in a six a non-title, so it's, it has a house show feel. Mm-hmm. The opponents, Delirious, Joey Ryan, who I didn't realize was around in 2009. It was just me. Petey Williams, Rash, Br- Rashy Brown. Yes. And Sammy Callahan. Very small Sammy Callahan compared to now. Yeah, very uh, early on Sammy Callahan, yep. Yep. Uh, it, I don't know what this was. If it was like a <laughs> battle royal, I don't know what the fuck this was. Twelve and a half minutes. Aries wins. Um, as usual, he's an unlikable prick, like he is in real life. Um, <laughs> Which one? I mean, you have Aries. You have Joey Ryan. Yeah, I <laughs> a lot of unlikable pricks here. Yeah, yeah, very true. But it's interesting this match because, again, kind of a dark spot for me of Austin Aries. Like, was he a part of the embassy here? Because Joey Ryan was, and I I don't remember this era of the embassy at all. Petey Williams, don't I vaguely remember him? Because he's in TNA at this point as well. Um, Rash Brown was like some local Midwest guy who I remember was getting shots on those, like the local shows, not all throughout Ring of Honor, but also getting a couple HDNet matches. Was just a, he was just a big six foot five guy who had no story um nate milton would say he was the athletic black man with absolutely no story whatsoever it would be what nate would classify him as yes yeah i agree um, sammy callahan um this is just really getting started and he'll head over to um he heads over to dragon gate usa in the, in the next year along with uh you know someone in the main event we'll talk about Yes. And Delirious, obviously, you know, the booker of the company up until its last day. 
the very bizarre, you know, Austin Aries and Delirious kind of veterans at this point. Joey Ryan on the come up. Petey Williams in, you know, the thick of his TNA run. Rash Brown was just like a nobody. And Sammy Callahan just starting out. So very odd match. I I never understood. This is the first of two times I'm going to ask ask this question about a person. Sure. Never understood the allure of Austin Aries, and I still don't to this day. Besides the fact he's a jerk off, um, I don't. I never really saw anything in him. I mean, he's a good heel just because he's again he's a good asshole. But I don't know. He never he never drew anything for me. Mm-hmm. Like I would have had, like I would have had Sammy Callahan win this match or something. I don't know. I just, I as a non-title match, I would have just had somebody else win, and just not have him get a pin or whatever. I don't know. What is well, it about Austin Aries to some people? Because I, I don't know. I just never see it. Well, I think the last quite few ma- uh, years of his career, he wasn't that. He wasn't that great. Um, it was more up to. Let's see, maybe, when did he win the title? 2012-ish? I can't, I say, again, so bad with years, but his Ring of Honor run, he had some pretty decent times. It was a pretty big shock when he was the guy who beat Samoa Joe, although um, I'm listening to some podcast right now from, that's about where I'm at right now is right when he won the belt. So, like, this era of Ring of Honor from, like, like oh end of oh five to oh nine he did pretty well he did well in some of his his run i think it was that he was this combination of like a hybrid wrestler of high flying some submission and he was just like really quick like an austin aries was like an alex shelley a chris saban they were all kind of in that same generation a similar style wrestler I think the last few years, you're right, that he kind of wore out his welcome at some point. Maybe it was with TNA. Maybe it was just because we learned more and more about, you know, kind of what a bad attitude he really had. Right. Um, it looked like in WWE, he was going to find himself. Right. And then he got injured and then kind of fell apart from there. And he, he really wasn't the same after that. And even towards the end of his TNA run, he really wasn't doing much. Um, he won the ROH belt. Um, let's see. Um, May fourth, oh seven. Following the announcement, TNA pulled Aries in Homicide, both under contracts. Then he was in TNA for two years. So it's mm-hmm. uh, here we go. Uh, two teams been in a tournament. Two of a Necro Butcher. Um, hmm. I'm trying to figure out when he won the title. I'm having a hard time too. Figuring out, well, he had it in eight, 2018. This is frustrating. But then again, Austin Aries is frustrating. Yeah. Uh, he's just a frustrating human. Um, 
Uh, let's see. So he he was two time ROH champion. He was this champion obviously. in two thousand twelve. Right. Um. Here we go. So he won it obviously right before here. Here we go. So, um, he won it on June. Th- oh, he won it the day that Misawa died, June thirteenth, two thousand nine. At Manhattan Mayhem 3. Oh, for the Ring of Honor. Okay, yeah. He beat, yeah, he beat Jerry Lynn and Tyler Black in a three-way. I see this is how great I am. I'm looking at his impact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he won uh, He won from Joe um, at Final Battle 04. And then, yeah, he won it uh, from Jerry Lynn. Punk beat him at. I didn't realize Aries had it in 2004. Yeah, he won it right at the end. And the story was because Joe had that really long title run that yep. lasted a good year and a half. 645 days. Yeah, he had gone through the three matches with Punk. So the kind of the story was, and, and Gabe loved Austin Aries, and that Generation X group was on the come up at this point. So the thought was, okay, no one's going to expect Aries to win, even though he's in the upper card at this point. But then you can also say that Joe is exhausted from these, you know, three matches that he had with CM Punk and defending the title so much. Mm. This was just Jerry Lynn winning for the nostalgia factor. And then, you know, flipping it a couple months later. Wow, Nigel had it for almost a year and a half himself. Yep. Long title reigns here. Danielson held it for 462 days between September of 05 and Jesus all the way to the end of 06. Crazy. <laughs> this match is not much. The six man mayhem matches are pretty much there's no rules. It's just six guys going at it. There's no there's no they're supposed to be tags, but that goes away immediately. So there's really there's really not much here. Uh Ryan is helping out Austin Aries, so he broke up the cover a couple times. Uh, Petey Williams did a Canadian Destroyer, which was still a pretty fresh move at this point. He was the only one that really did it. Now it's used probably weekly on television <laughs> in both WWE and AEW. Right. Yeah. Uh, it looked like Delirious was going to win because he gave his shadows over hell. Top rope splash on to like a, an opponent on his knees. To both Ryan and Aries. Um, Aries ended up rolling him up for the win. I think it was. Went down a deep hole. And I, I can't see where I was at. But I think it was around 13 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 12 and a half minutes. Yeah, 12 and a half minutes. Was Petey Williams just borrowed? I think he was at this point. Because he was. Oh, I forget that he's an agent for WWE. Let's see. He wasn't, he wasn't. I mean, he goes back to TNA at some point. Well, he, um, yeah, he was working just a little bit in TNA at this time. He had his his. Um, he was just finishing up with Scott Steiner at this point, right. and then it looks like he took quite a bit. Of, he, wow, it. Just going through his more famous matches, it looked like he went through quite a hiatus mm-hmm. at the, in 2009. 
uh, from away from Impact. Uh, well, he went to Japan for a bit and did a junior tag league in 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 all Japan. Did a little bit, a couple of Ring of Honor. He, he just did this weekend because he's based out of Canada. So that's what he he was, he was doing some indies and in all Japan during 2009, and then eventually made his way back into. Yeah, very. He's just kind of after that big impact run that he had, he was really floating all over the place. Right. Doing some Ring of Honor. Then he would, you know, do like the Canadian and, you know, Northern Midwest Indies. Did some. Oh, God. God, I forgot about this. The Masked Warriors, just like trying to bring Lucha to New Mexico. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. He's still one of the coolest finishers ever. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Uh absolutely. All right, now a guy that I'm totally going to destroy right now. <laughs> um, boom, boom, comes in the ring. Cole Cabana cuts a promo, and then out comes a totally out-of-shape D'Lo Brown. <laughs> and they wrestle an absolute... I mean, an absolute bag of dicks for 849. Uh, Colt wins the match. This is, this is a legitimately a half-star match. Yeah. It sucks. Yeah. Um, and, well, give me your thoughts on the match, and then I'll ask you my question. Well, you know, D'Lo came out and, you know, was just doing cheap heat stuff. And then Colt mocked him for doing cheap heat. But, like, it was a Colt's known for, you know, having decent promos. And maybe it's just because of all the years of doing the podcast that he's good at it. Right. But this was, a, like you said, it was an eight-minute match, and there was a tremendous amount of stalling by D'Lo. And I was doing a little bit of reading about his time in Ring of Honor at this time, because I do remember on HDNet when he started wrestling, I was like, man, he seems so out of place uh, in Ring of Honor. Uh, and he just was kind of a heel that stalled. Uh, there was, like, some goofy stuff with the refs. Like, like D'Lo kept trying to cheat to get disqualified. Like elbowed the referee like on quote unquote accident, but it really looked like he did it on that it was it, it just nothing flowed. Everything looked contrived and in slow motion. Um, like the thing that supposedly knocked Colt Cabana out for two minutes was this weak ha- clothesline to what was supposed to be the back of the head because that's what Colt Cabana was selling, but it was more mid spine. <laughs> Right. And then they were as like um, they they were fighting over the bell and Cabana basically uh, tricked D'Lo while the ref was looking and knocked him out for the victory. Just it was an absolute yeah. nothing match. Uh, even like the European style that Colt would do sometimes, he really didn't do much of. Yeah, just just very bizarre. And the crowd pay, and the crowd showed uh- it. The crowd was dead yes. silent for this. Yes. Which brings me to my question. Might be know where this is coming from, but what is honest question? What is Cole Cabana's gimmick? What is he? I've tried to figure this out forever. What is Cole Cabana's gimmick? I think that during his more of his 
indie days where I think he kind of peaked maybe a couple of years after this. Was yeah, more a few years after this was that he's funny. He's like a comedian guy, but he can also do like chain wrestling, like European style chain wrestling. And, and I think that's pretty much what it is. It's a combination of of those two things. I think he really became more popular because of his art of wrestling show. I think that's where he, his popularity really rose because he was one of the first guys who interviewed all of these kind of independent stars and, and then eventually WWE and impact stars. So people heard from him the first time. And I do think he has, I, I think he has, to be commended for having some role in the raise, like the rise of independent wrestling, because he gave all these people a platform. Um, and, I, and that's where, but got, like some of his wrestling, and, and it shows now, he, you know, you don't see him wrestling in AEW or Ring of Honor much. And I don't think it's because of the punk thing at all. He was no, really on the, on the downhill at that point. Um, and, and I don't like that narrative. And I, did believe um, Tony Khan and everyone else um, like Punk's cap when they said that that wasn't a thing. I do believe that because he wasn't wrestling much before Punk got there. Right. Um, and at the beginning, he was kind of Punk's um, beginning of Ring of Honor. He was like Punk's kind of sidekick. Punk was very like he was the very serious, uh, you know, wrestler. Uh, with you know a chip on his shoulder, and then Colt was kind of the the humorous sidekick who would uh, annoy Punk, but also you know be on his side. So he was the he was the Stevie Richards to Punk's Raven. Yeah, but yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Because every time I I, I watch anything with him, and, and listen, he was in the mod, you know, he was in. Billy's NWA for a little bit. He was actually national heavyweight champion for a little bit. And I'm just like, what is he? <laughs> like, why does everybody love him so much? He, I don't, I don't see it. I just don't see what everyone loved about him. Uh, maybe it's just me. I don't I'm know. I'm trying to see like the last, um, big match, like really high rated match he was in. Good luck. Uh, there was a four and a half star match, eight on cage match in mid 2020, which was like all of Dark Order versus FTR, the Bucks, Kenny Omega and Hangman Adam Page. Oh, yeah. So in other words, like he, he glommed on pretty much. But I'm going um, all right, the last highly rated match of his. And a single match was against Tori Yano in Ring of Honor, who's the comedy wrestler. So it's probably a really good comedy match. And that was October 2017. So six years ago. I just never I just don't get it. Mm -hmm. I just don't get the concept. Yeah, he doesn't uh, have he really doesn't have um, many. Like super highly rated matches, there's like some from Chikara. Um, I remember there's a couple of matches with Zack Sabre Suit Jr., but that's when he's wrestling a little bit more of that um, European style. 
He was involved in the Steen Generico feud. Right. Which, which happened about a year from now. And, and, you know, obviously there's, you know, a lot going on there where you also have Generico and, and Steen. And, you know, so they were kind of put in there as, as tag team partners. And then he'd, he'd occasionally have these, um, feuds. There was a feud he had with Homicide, I remember, in 06 that got really super violent. Uh, Hit some matches with Brian Danielson, but you know I could have a a three star match with Brian Danielson right now, right? So yeah, I I hear what you're saying, and I don't disagree. I think the the part of Cocabana's career that I will most remember for him for is his podcast, which I I shoot I haven't listened to in years, but you know it and it played a huge role in history. Just the you know obviously the whole Colton Punk thing, change change wrestling that podcast. But as as a wrestler, I can take him or leave him. I just don't get it. Yeah. And, and this, I'm watching and this, this match. match was like, what is legitimately what is the point here? This match was awful. Yeah. Well, that too. That didn't help matters with me. Yeah, it, it was absolutely awful. Um, I mean, D'Lo here. I mean, that's kind of ridiculous. And then, you know, three years later, and then we eventually get aces and eights. I wonder right. why Cole Cabana didn't join Aces and Eats. Gosh, I forgot D-Lo was of in identity, that. At least. I forgot D-Lo was in Aces and, and Eights. <laughs> yep. And that starts, what, 2011? So that's yeah. a couple years after this. And D-Lo was in atrocious shape here. Oh, my God, he was fat. Oof. So out of this slop shop, we go completely 180 to the match of the night. Um... Obviously, once again, it emphasizes how good the tag division was in ROH at this time and how it kind of has always been um, one of its strongest suits. So and it was the one title match on the card. I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the ROH World Tag Team titles currently held by arguably one of the greatest tag teams of the last, you know, 20 years. And that is the American Wolves, Mr. Richards, and Mr. Eddie Edwards, PTB alum. Uh, I got a question about D.B. Richards in a minute. Um, <laughs> he, he's, he's does he going, belong in the Austin Aries He picks all the fucking winners, doesn't he? Yeah. Um, I know, it's like, why does Scott have questions about so many assholes? I don't know. Um, but this team is pretty fucking great. The team of Kenta, <laughs> not Kabashi, yep. and Roddy Strong. Longest match of the night, 21.05. This match was awesome. It was absolutely amazing. Um, the only one rated on cage match is uh, 8.00. Yeah. I gave it four and a quarter stars. Four and um, a half. If not more, yeah. four and a half was also what I was going in between there. I mean, it's that good. Yeah. What yeah. was it about the Wolves? They were just so... They were like the Bucks, but dirtier. Yeah, and they, they could play both heel and face. Yeah, yep. and they have good matches with the Bucks too. Um, you know, pretty hard strikes. Davy Richards has always looked um, kind of real, like he yeah, like has a more realistic style. Um, you know, in kind of in that reign of that uh, realm of like Benoit, Dynamite Kid, kind of that like that kind of yeah. wrestler. Well, they look like him, and that that was my question. Why did Davey Richards have to pick another fucking asshole to look like? 
They all look like that. Short, he, jacked up dudes with shaved heads. Yeah. And he he had a comeback over the last couple of years, like kind of a small comeback where he was doing some indies and looked like maybe he would get back an impact. And um, well, then it turned out he's, uh, you know, as big of a jerk as we thought he was, you know. Yeah, pretty uh, much. Yeah. Uh, uh, alleged um, assault. I mean, we have to say it, you know, alleged assault of his what then wife angelina love um yeah so we'll just get that part of the way um because you know we should mention it instead of lauding him in terms of the right. wrestling match only um right. roddy and kenta was a randomly thrown together team because yeah it was it's it supposed to be danielson but they said he was out with a staph infection the two of them fit together because they're both badass shit kickers I mean, Kenta is, th this is pretty close to prime Kenta, where yeah. he, uh, it just kicks and chops harder than everybody. Um, yeah, just, uh, you know, he's the junior heavyweight title in Noah at this point. Um, and it looked like from what they said, I kind of thought that they said that the Wolves have been fighting like kind of makeshift teams lately where they're like two single stars put together and that's why they win because they're more of a, a gel team and, you know, the other people are just, well, they're, you know, could, you know, Roddy will win the world title down you know, not too long in the future. Right. Uh, Kenta singles champion, but the, the Wolves had more of the, the teamwork. But God, the beginning of this match when Roddy and Kenta were just absolutely lighting Richards and Edwards up with yes. kicks and chops. It was just it was like they were trying to outdo each other, <laughs> probably having a blast doing it. Oh, yeah, totally. Totally. But it was just I mean, it's a different it was it seemed like just good, typical ROH snugness. Mm -hmm. Um. You know, and obviously Kenta and, and Roddy will definitely oblige you. Uh, it was just that hard. I mean, we we were. It's funny we're talking about a, another good ROH tag team match because our last episode, of course, we we talked about the epic trilogy of FTR and the Briscoes, mm -hmm. and even they and they were put and the, and particularly that dog collar match. I mean, they were hitting bangers left and right, but I feel like they weren't even as snug as these four were here. I don't know if it's their size. I don't know if it's because ROH was just that special. Yeah, I think it was just a combination of guys they put together. Because Eddie yeah. Edwards has always been known for his chops as well. And then Richards with his, you know, kind of stiff kicks where he's like, are these, is he being a dick and actually, like, connecting these? Or is, like, he's just an incredible, uh, you know, and just an, an incredible worker in that regard. Um, but yeah, they, they, they were just lighting each other up <laughs> and I was like watching on a, on my computer and I actually had to turn it down because they were so loud. It was fucking nuts. Yeah. I thought I mean, absolutely like, crazy. I thought the, my only criticism of this match at all was that it, it kind of felt like the mayhem match from before where there wasn't much flow to it. It was just a lot of 
you know, like uh, multiple guys in at at one time. It, it didn't have like that tag style of like working someone over, you, you know, work, go for the hot tag. There was like a couple minute stretch of that. That was like my only criticism of just like, okay, the four of you just go out and kick the shit out of each other. There's no storyline whatsoever. <laughs> it's just go kick the shit out of each other. Right. Yeah, no, I agree with you on that. Yeah, they, they I mean, obviously gold was on the line. The Wolves uh, would retain... Uh, just go and look at history right now. Um, uh, the Lucha Brothers are the tag team champions, of course. Right. They, uh, they they won uh, Mania Weekend in L.A. Um, kind of going back now through the history books. Let's go back to... All right, so... Let's see. The Wolves... Uh, let's see. So, the Wolves beat... Uh, Generico and Steen... On April 10th in Philly, and they held it pretty much through the rest of the year, 253 days. And on December 19th, I'm assuming that was final battle. It was in the city. Mm-hmm. Uh, they lost to they lost to Jay Mark. Okay. And then Jay Mark held it for a little over 100 days until the beginning of 2000. Uh, till Mar- it looks like it. Well, let's see. It was. April third of twenty ten, so it was about a week after Supercard of Honor because that was the, that was an earlier Mania that weekend in, in Phoenix, and they lost to uh, Hero and Claudio, the Kings. So, so this was a, probably the American Wolves' one reign as champion, right? I don't think they win it again, right? Who's that? Oh no, they do. Yeah, they win it again in uh, twenty thirteen. Yeah, they won it later on, and then they were fe- they feuded with Red Dragon for some mm-hmm. time. But folks, the match is badass. If there's one match to to take away from this show, this one's it. The American Wolves, Davey and Eddie defeat Kenta and Roddy in just a snug little slap fight uh, that goes a show high twenty one oh five. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. No, the main event. No, the main, no, main event, event was, was a little bit longer. But... Yes, the main event was longer. My bad. For some reason, I thought it was only twelve minutes. It was twenty two minutes. So our main event. Not the title, of course, as uh, Austin already wrestled, but a straight-up grudge cage match. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Jacobs, another one who's a little tainted. And he takes on a guy who this guy? did pretty well, right? <laughs> he, he did okay. He did okay. We are speaking, of course, of another multi-hair-colored phenom in Mr. Tyler Black, who, of course, now is uh, our world heavyweight champion in WWE, and that is, of course, Seth Rollins. Mm-hmm. Um, these guys were feuding. Um, little cage match action here. Uh, this was fun. Uh, what are your thoughts on Jimmy Jacobs at this point? Well, Jacobs is... Well, first of all, he's from this area, and also this is his last Ring of Honor match um, before he goes to with Gabe to Dragon USA. Right. Um, so this is kind of his write-off, because I was looking to see, like, at the end of the match, which we'll get to, I was like, where do they go with this feud? Because I don't remember what, how this ends, and uh, this would be it. So Jacobs, I think, is more... He's more of like an old school 
like story guy, like psychology right. guy, more than he is like a fantastic wrestler. Um, man, he's a good wrestler, but he like where he's at is like these psychological stories that build up to giant blood feuds. Um, you know, kind of like uh, and when he started, he was like mini Bruiser Brody. His if he was bigger in terms of size, he probably would have gone farther with his career. But I mean, he still had a career. He's still in the business. He's, um, you know, written for WWE. He's written for Impact. Uh, I think that's he's in. I think he's in Impact right now. Um, but yeah, I'm not the biggest fan. But he's oh geez, some guy in the Angels got busted open. Um, <laughs> <laughs> like ran the razor <laughs> and was are we talking like uh carrie von eric uh <laughs> you know accidentally he, scratch yourself because you're too high with your fucking uh no, he, in your uh in your dove, in your bandage dove in the home plate like he was in little league and not a major league baseball player and his whole head came up and he bopped uh the catcher's helmet oh. on. That's uh, yep so, um, Tyler Black, I don't believe he had won the ROH world title yet. No, he was, uh, he would go on later to win. He wins it, uh, February 13th, 2010. In fact, he beats Austin Aries. Yeah, that's what I thought. He beats Aries. show in the city. But he, he's clearly, and they even mentioned on commentary that, you know, that's yep. going to be his goal. And that's kind of what led to the breakup here. Because Tyler Black was in the Age of the Fall, which started at the Man Up pay-per-view that that I was at after the Briscoes beat Generico and Steen in a ladder match. Jacobs jumped the rail with uh, Tyler Black in tow and a massively bloody Jay Briscoe just they hung him upside down and he was just pouring blood downward towards the ring on top of Jimmy Jacobs. Like Jimmy Jacobs is literally like taking a shower in Jay Briscoe's blood. It was utterly disgusting. So that jacket that he wore out that was white and covered in dry blood, that was the jacket. That that's wow. Jay Briscoe's you know long-term storytelling. You know, exactly you know that that was a good year plus before. So basically this whole group with Jimmy Jacobs Age of the Fall um, slowly broke apart over the course of the HDNet era, uh, where people started going on their own, like Delirious and Necro Butcher, uh, and Tyler Black was the last to fall, uh, no yep. pun intended. And uh, Jacobs won a first blood match before this. I can't read, I did not see that match, um, but this was the blow off to their feud. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Tyler Black, obviously, you know, that, you know, Mr. Mr. Rollins, that kind of typical ROH kind of caution to the wind kind of thing. And uh, crowd was into it. It was a fun little match. And, and of course, he would hold the belt for um, almost 210, 210 days. And in the same city of New York, glory by honor nine, he would lose a no DQ match to Roddy. Uh, Funk was the ringside enforcer. And then, of course, by 2011, I think pretty much Tyler Black is in, uh, I guess, what was FCW. Mm-hmm. And that would, of course, eventually become uh, NXT. Um, so you feel like this is like a 
a turning point pay-per-view, Steve? Like, because I feel like within the next, like, two years, most of these guys are all gone. Most. Yeah, they're, yeah, some are going to impact, you know, Steen and Generico are off and on. They're having their feud. Nigel's gone in a few months. Yep. Um, I don't remember how much time Claudio had you left, but not too much. Um, yeah, this there's some of the old guard is you know leaving. Jacobs, Aries, uh, is that they're at the tail end of their careers. Uh, so uh, Adam Pierce era gets some love, but mostly hate. I, I think it is underrated. And right. the, there's some really good stuff here before Cornette right. comes in. Yep. And you're still getting some of these these dream matches that are that are thrown in, like the, the Wolves Roddy versus Roddy Kenta, which I had no idea existed. And, and that's why I think it's kind of this era's kind of slept on because I that this is a match that if it's not should be on some sort of, you know, compilation for either Roddy or, or the Wolves. Right, um, definitely. Yeah, the, and Seth Rollins in 09, Tyler Black here, he is a little bit of t- indie-type worker. Like, his his moves are named after, like, heavy metal-type things, I believe. Yeah. But he, I remember when Age of the Fall started, he was kind of dabbling and trying to figure out his character. and. Right clearly has like that kind of independent wwe hybrid style yep um coming up through nx you know fcw then nxt um it turned into one of the most successful wrestlers ever it's hard to like yep you can see a little bit of it here he's kind of become the modern day bret hart yeah he can work with everybody reliable shifted his character multiple times yep here he's just kind of like this like kind of dark emo like metalhead type dude um you know uh, you know the shield and shifted his character again so creative ridiculous athlete you know trains other wrestlers just and, and you can start seeing it it's and that's what's fun about ring of honor and doing these shows is seeing someone on the come up seeing someone learn and then also kind of comparing and contrasting where they are now compared like their style Yes. And that's what I'm saying. Like, like, you know, Rollins or Tyler Black uh, definitely was a little more, was not as grounded, uh, did not have as much of a grapple attack as he does now, which obviously, you know, he's a different worker now. Mm -hmm. But you could see that he that he knew how to command a ring. um, And. Knew how to. Um, uh, dictate, you know, dictate the tempo and the psychology. And obviously, Jimmy Jacobs, obviously a guy that could handle that. So it just yeah, he did some pretty gross stuff in here. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it lended itself to to two expert psychologists putting on a good psychological cage match. You know? Yeah, and Tyler Black eventually won doing. Um, just right, like a superfly stuck a splash off the top of the cage through Jimmy Jacobs, who was on a table. Yeah. Um, but to just one last thing I wanted to say about Tyler Black, Seth Rollins here. Yeah. Uh, he had this, 
he got thrown in, I feel, with a lot of the other people of this time as like this, you know, superific indie flip floppy guy. He's really not. He wasn't flying around in this match by any means. He was, you know, doing super kicks and power by like the buckle bombs, which he still does now. He like it was just a regular cage match. Uh, you know, they he took a couple Rana's, but he didn't actually do any of them. It was, you know, punches, kicks, buckle bombs, some super kicks. Um, he was just a regular wrestler. And I think he got thrown into the, oh, he's like flip floppy. I think he flies him around more now than he did back then. He had like one, um, he one flying movie did the Phoenix Splash. Right. Like you start off in a moonsault and then do a twist and a, but yeah, it's just he was just tall and scrawny at this point and still growing, still growing. Yeah, yep. But it was a fun way to end the show and and uh, again, I just feel like you saw early ways of how Seth can can dictate a match as well as uh, as he does now and and mm-hmm. and facing again an experienced guy like Jimmy Jacobs in that setting with a cage and 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 setting up what was a, a very well framed finish. Uh, honestly, it just showed, you know, how Ring of Honor didn't, did lend itself to being almost a feeder system. I know they didn't want to admit that, but they knew that they were, mm-hmm. and that's okay. Um, cause guys did stick around there, you know, as much as Gabe could pay them until they were getting paid by, uh, you know, better worker, you know, by, you know, when the flamethrower came around, you're not going to say no. No, you wanted to, yeah, it's kind of the point, right? It's its own you know you want to have the um you know you want to succeed and you know at this point like be a number you know a number three promotion but recognizing that some of these people are going to go into bigger and better things i i always thought that i i don't think that i i think that gabe was and this again this is the adam pierce area but most of the people here started with gabe um i i think he he didn't start these guys off. He was like kind of like a polishing school. You know, right. n- none of these people really who were stars trained in an ROH and like Gabe had a hand in doing that. He had a hand in like booking them well, finding right. talent elsewhere and then bringing them in. And, uh, you know, we see what would happen throughout the rest of the, you know, for the next few years as guys just evolved and, and would eventually become ROH champion and uh, mm-hmm. and then, you know, move on to where they are now. This was a fun show. Uh, it had its crap matches at the beginning, but it definitely evolved <laughs> into something pretty good on the back end. Uh, the cage match is fun, but if anything, just look for this world tag title match. Yeah, that's um, really the one you should go out of your way to see. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. The American Wolves against Roddy and uh, Kenta. Uh, Steve, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. Nice randomizing choice. Very well done. Uh, that'll do it for this month's show. We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, obviously, you can follow me on Twitter at Scotty Podfather. But more importantly, please follow the brand on Twitter at PTBN Wrestling. We do the wrestling time travel every day uh, where we go back in history to what big shows were happening on this date. We're in July right now. So, you know, a lot of bashes, a lot of heat waves, a lot of uh, slam anniversaries, and uh, not much ROH in July, but, you know, some pop up from here and there. Um, of course, we also post our podcast. We've got a very busy week. Uh, later this week, new episode of Through the Looking Glass, new episode of the main event. Steve and I will be back with you later in the week with, of course, the godfather, Nate Milton, to talk about other fun things. Uh, this weekend, of course, Dr. G and I with the NWA Saturday special as we get closer to NWA 75. 
new episodes of uh, two great shows, um, the Memphis Continental Wrestling Cast, as well as the Monday Night Project. I want to talk about to my good buddy Luke Jennings, who's really a, a nice guy, another UK boy, um, and and he puts on these two great shows. Uh, the Memphis Continental Wrestling Cast drops every Saturday at two in the afternoon, and then the Monday Night Project, which drops every Monday morning at nine, um, is uh, they're really good. Please, please listen to them. They're they're, they're some of the best new stuff we've got uh, here on the network. Uh, Steve, where are you? Where are um, you? I'm in my basement <laughs> with my cat. Oh, my cat didn't join us tonight, unfortunately. No Oreos. <laughs> <laughs> Um, let's see. I am on this podcast with you. I'm yes. on the main event with you, and uh, yes. I'll be. I'm ready. I, I am trying to watch all the G1. I'm not. It's going to be very challenging. Um, there is so much wrestling that we're going to be able to talk about, and uh, it's just an incredible time for it. And I'm occasionally on the AEW podcast as well on the North South Connection feed with Jordan and Andrew Reese, and we'll be seeing Jordan in a few weeks so that's going to be pretty exciting and uh, says yes. that, can follow me um I, people are telling me i should join threads i don't know if that's going to be something i do but um because I, I have the instagram steve willie one and uh, they say all you got to do is press a couple buttons and you're on threads i i'm trying not to don't don't <laughs> we might do we might try to we might do a uh we might do a ptbn uh, feed on threads. We'll see. I've heard decent things about know. it, but is it, you know, that's just because people haven't poisoned it yet. Right. Now, wait till, wait till the, wait till the tribalism starts. Threads, the only home for AEW. No WWE allowed, or, or vice versa, or whatever. Yeah. Um, anyway, thank you for joining us. Uh, Steve and I'll be with you later this month with main event, or later this week. And also, uh, next month, the August episode, I'm not sure what we'll do. I always no, trust Steve. Yeah, we'll I figure it out. Steve. Yep, it'll be fun. It'll be fun, always. Thanks for joining us. Have a great month. Pick up the streamers and shake hands, because we always have honor on our pod. <laughs>